So you described in your blog post that you're sitting in a glass wall meeting room, having a meeting at 10 a.m. on June 27th of 2017. Describe for me what 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 was that day like? What was that meeting about and what happened next? So I wondered how long it would take. My hairs are already going up on my arms. <laughs> um, so I, it was an entirely normal pedestrian sort of day you know yeah we, we, that is the voice of gavin ashton gavin is an expert in identity and so access management nice almost five years ago yeah, gavin yeah, had a role in one of the most devastating strangest and unprecedented global cyber attacks that's um, ever occurred the incident is known so by the ransomware or at least the purported ransomware that caused it which was called not petcha gavin worked for the danish global shipping giant Maersk. And this is this is something I describe to you know customers of mine now is that you know we talk about you know milestones and project plans and things that you know three five year plans etc. And the thing about ransomware and or, or extortionware whatever you want to call it these days is that it 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 doesn't really care about any of that you know it could literally strike this afternoon and you know that was our that was our wake up call. Maersk was just one of several multinational companies that spent hundreds of millions of dollars recovering after NotPetya struck. And it was just one of dozens of organizations that were touched by NotPetya. NotPetya pretended on the surface to be ransomware, but it actually wasn't. Although it displayed a ransom note that would indicate it was just encrypting files, it actually wrecked the master boot record of computers. The master boot record is the first sector of a PC's hard drive that the computer looks to before loading the operating system. There's no recovery from that sort of digital vandalism. This malware was designed to destroy. We'll get into a bit of the who and the why later, but NotPetya was extremely successful at destroying IT systems with breathtaking speed. And one component of that success involved taking advantage of weak identity and access management controls. Two decades ago, identity and access management was a back office IT function that no one really thought about except for the person or two who maintained whatever system was in use. Now the systems that broker access are among the most important ones to defend against intrusions, ransomware attacks, and in the extreme cases as in this one, a cyber attack by a nation state that, whether intended or not, got completely out of hand. This is the Ransomware Files. I'm Jeremy Kirk. In this podcast miniseries, I'm speaking with those who have navigated their way through a ransomware incident and learned how they fought back and what tips they can pass on to others. No ransomware infection is ever welcomed, but there's invaluable knowledge gained. There should be no shame in getting infected, but it's important to share the lessons. In June 2020, Gavin published an eloquent and highly detailed blog post describing his experiences at Maersk. He started working at Maersk in 2015 as its identity and access management subject matter expert. The piece was an in-depth look at why Maersk was so affected by NotPetya, this toxic self-propagating malware. 
Gavin described how NotPetya took advantage of identity and access management weaknesses and also how Maersk eventually improved. The piece was remarkable for its frankness, openness, and the fact that Gavin put his name on it. Tech is an industry where most people are very reluctant to talk about former employers for fear of retribution or legal trouble. To his surprise, the piece captured an audience and Merce didn't bother him about it. When I when I posted that post, the reaction kind of blew up and it was, you know, it was my sort of two minutes of stardom <laughs> in the infocet world. But actually, you know what? Um, I'd had a very normal career. Um and have a very normal career really but um i'd started off as you know a system admin you know in a local you know local company local organization found identity and security pretty interesting gavin ended up at Maersk after cycling through some partner and in-house roles honing his skills around microsoft's identity and security stack the Maersk role, which was in a city called Maidenhead, about an hour west of London, was an outstanding opportunity. Maersk is one of the largest shipping and logistics companies in the world, and it has more than 80,000 employees in 130 countries. Its operations are a crucial part of the global supply chain. The job was a step up for Gavin. Maersk was the first organization I'd worked at where like, you really felt the values. They were still majority family-owned. The stuff that Maersk does, the history, and you go back to like the Second World War and they're like ferrying, you know, picking up people out of the water and stuff. And oh, I mean, the, the, the stories of Maersk are just huge. They're, they're a great organization. Barrett Halai hired Gavin. At the time, Barrett was Maersk's service owner for directory services, which included Active Directory, the all-important directory that's critical for authenticating Windows users. His role also included Purview over Forefront Identity Manager, or FIM, and Microsoft Identity Manager, or MIM. I was quite lucky that um, Gavin was one of the first CVs that came up. Um, and I, I knew that he'd, his background came from a, a well-respected uh, consultancy within uh, the UK. Um, and so when, when he came through, I spoke to him, he was very well spoken. And I guess the rest was history because um, he, he he knew his technical, um, he had a good technical understanding of FIM and anti-management. Barrett says that FIM and MIM are good for what their missions are, identity management, but neither are great at access management. And if you roll back the clock five years ago, the tooling for controlling and monitoring privileged access was less refined. Gavin says the scene at Maersk was what you'd expect. The principle of least privilege wasn't generally followed. The least privilege principle dictates that user and admin accounts shouldn't have access to more resources than needed. For for example, service accounts shouldn't be used across multiple applications and end-user accounts don't need administrative privileges everywhere. At Maersk, some server administrators had access to huge numbers of other systems, Gavin says. There were some vague security baseline policies, but they weren't consistent and not really followed. All of it meant trouble if a bad actor got a hold of a highly privileged account. There were funding challenges as well, as Gavin says IT was viewed as a cost center to be minimized. He had been pushing for privileged access management controls, which are sometimes referred to as PAM, and that's tooling that can provide visibility and tighter management of who has access to what. I guess anybody from the identity and, and you know security PAM field would sort of recognize very typical behaviors, you know, like a lot of organizations 
um, security isn't the 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 first priority. It's, it's delivery of of the business, you know, and 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 getting those containers around, you know, allowing people to process, you know, submit and process their orders, and you know, the the, the business end of IT. Um, and like you typically find in in many organisations, security is something that not an afterthought, but it's definitely not a you know it wasn't a, a main priority. Um, and I found that 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 it was, it was a very consistent story at Maersk. You know, they they had you know d- differing levels of of maturity when you looked at different layers of the IT stack. Um, and one of the things yeah. that Not Picture really highlighted was that you know. It, in in days gone by you know you could when you operated in like a four walls environment you know you had your data center and you had your office block you know you'd, you'd focus on your network layer you'd focus on your firewalls and you'd keep yourself in your little box that doesn't really work anymore the demonstration of why that doesn't work anymore was far from subtle it started mid-morning on june 27th 2017 gavin was in a meeting they can almost imagine if if it, if, I, if we make the Hollywood version of this movie, you know, it'd be the the screens in sequence as you look down a row of desks, you know, they go blump 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 down the down the down the row. Now it, it was kind of they were going black, um, and the, you were getting your little pretty sort of red ransomware message. Um, but the the interesting thing it wasn't the message in of itself because you think oh okay so we've got some sort of you know issue locally. It was as the news came in during over the next sort of hour and couple of hours that, oh, okay, it's not just Maidenhead. Oh, it's not just Europe. Oh, it's not just America. Oh, okay, this is global. <laughs> oh, and it's not just desktops. Oh, it's servers as well. Okay, what? which servers? Oh, all of them. Nothing quite prepares you for that news. The NotPetya attack occurred on the same day that Barrett was conducting the first service review with the Polish company that supported Maersk's identity management setup that included the company's support of Active Directory, MIM, FIM, and also Azure AD, which is Microsoft's cloud offering for Active Directory. Maersk had recently put that into the mix as well. Barrett had booked a room that was just behind Maersk's command and control center for the meeting. The command and control center had those big screens that monitor the shipping company's IT operations around the world. So yeah, we were sitting in that room. Uh, we were just uh, talking away, and suddenly I heard um, some very lar- large footsteps, uh, some very loud footsteps, should I say. And it was uh, my peer who basically ran um, the desktop um, the workstation services uh, for 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 Maersk. Um, and if I knew that she was walking that fast and that loud, something must have been wrong. So she asked me to clear the room. So we thought, okay, we'll clear the room. Went downstairs to the canteen, and we continued our service review. And it went on for a good hour, two hours. I had no laptop in front of me, nothing like that. So um, service review finished. I thanked the vendor. Um, they came back upstairs with me just to go grab their bits and bobs, uh, by which time something had gone wrong. You could see that people were um, were concerned. Um, you could see that something had happened. This is probably now about half, half 11, 12 o'clock on the 27th. Um, something had gone wrong. And um, I asked, you know, what's happened? They um, said, well, we seem to um, have some issues. We've got systems go offline. And I thought nothing of it. I thought, okay, well, I'm sure AD is okay. Uh, I thought nothing of it and, and carried on my usual business. It turned out that um, 
that wasn't the case and that um, there had been um, something that happened and you could see in the command and control center that the skin screens have gone black and you had the red writing of the ransomware. At that time, I didn't know it was ransomware. Um, all I knew that there was something there that, you know, it could have been a failure of some sort. It never occurred to me at that time as ransomware. But um, it later transpired a few hours later um, that it was uh, ransomware. So that's how the day started. <laughs> that was, I say day started, that was about 12, one, 12, 12, one o'clock uh, on 27. Exactly what had struck Maersk was still unknown, but it was spreading incredibly fast. Within two hours, almost every domain join service or device was gone, from laptops to workstations to virtual machines to physical servers. And what about Barrett's 180 or so domain controllers and Active Directory that he initially thought were probably fine? Yep, gone. As Gavin put it in his blog post, Maersk had just been sent back to the dark ages. A little over a year later, the head of technology for Maersk, Adam Banks, relayed a tally of the damage to a publication called iGlobal Intelligence for Digital Leaders, which is a publication sponsored by Fujitsu. Adam said that 49,000 end-user devices were destroyed, 1,200 applications were inaccessible, and 1,000 were destroyed. Also, some 3,500 of 6,200 servers were completely wrecked. Why was whatever was happening so virulent and so destructive? NotPetya was one potent piece of engineering. To get into its lineage, it has a similarity to ransomware called Petya, which appeared around March of 2016. Like Petya, NotPetya had its own bootloader and kernel. Once it hit a system, it would write over the master boot record with its own custom bootloader that then loaded a small malicious kernel. But rather than encrypting files, it actually just encrypted the master file table. Now the master file table is what keeps track of what files are on a system and the metadata of those files. Encrypting that, of course, made the files inaccessible. NotPetya had several features that caused it to spread globally quickly. One, it was a self-propagating worm. Once it infected a system, it sought out other systems to infect. One of those methods used a software exploit known as Eternal Blue, which was developed by the U.S. National Security Agency. Somehow, the agency lost control of this cyber weapon. It was leaked in April 2017 by a group calling itself the Shadow Brokers. To this day, we still don't know who that group is or how they came into be possession of one of the NSA's most powerful hacking tools. Eternal Blue exploited a vulnerability in Microsoft's server message block protocol, which is used for accessing files on other systems and connecting to printers. Eternal Blue proved so fruitful for the spy agency that one US government official told the Washington Post that it was like fishing with dynamite. Eternal Blue was also used by the infamous WannaCry ransomware, which struck just a month before NotPetya. But using Eternal Blue wasn't NotPetya's only trick. It also used another exploit called Eternal Romance, which was also leaked by the Shadow Brokers, which targeted the SMB protocol. Also in its toolkit was a modified version of Mimikatz, which pulls authentication credentials from the memory of Windows systems. Between exploitation and credential harvesting, NotPetya was a razor-sharp spear. So how did this end up on Maersk's systems? 
NotPetya was initially slipped into a software update for accounting software that's used in the Ukraine called MEDOC or MEDOC. It's developed by a small company called the Linkos Group. The software is used by any business that does business with Ukraine. So when the malicious update went out, NotPetya was unknowingly installed by those who use MEDOC. It crippled Ukrainian organizations, but they were far from the only ones affected. FedEx, the pharmaceutical company Merck, even a Cadbury chocolate factory in Tasmania were hit. But due to NotPetya's extremely effective propagation, there were even more victims further afar. One of those was the Heritage Valley Health System in Sewickley, Pennsylvania. NotPetya jammed up systems that held patient histories and lab records, and admin systems were unavailable for a month. U.S. investigators believe NotPetya was created by Unit 74455 of the Russian Main Intelligence Directorate, also known as the GRU. The group is known to computer security researchers by a cluster of other names that include the Sandworm Team, Telebots, Voodoo Bear, and Iron Viking. In October 2020, the U.S. Department of Justice charged six GRU officers, who were all men in their late 20s and early 30s, with creating malware, including NotPetya. The journalist Andy Greenberg of Wired wrote an excellent book on the Sandworm Group and the immense cyber destruction it wrought with NotPetya. There have been questions if those who created NotPetya intended for it to cause so much collateral damage. Obviously, it was intended to hurt Ukraine, which it certainly did. After invading and annexing Crimea in 2014, Russia has been engaged in an ongoing deadly conflict and for all practical purposes has already taken a chunk of Ukraine's eastern territory. And as of early 2022, Russia appears poised to invade the country. As part of that buildup, we've already seen aggressive moves on the cyber front, including the deployment of malware that, get this, overwrites the master boot record, wipes files, and displays a fake ransomware note. But NotPetya didn't spare Russia. It hit organizations there too. That included Rosneft, which is Russia's largest crude oil exporter, Evraz, which is a mining and steel manufacturer, and Spurbank, which is one of the largest banks in Russia. Perhaps NotPetya's creators didn't anticipate just how effective the malware would be. The indictment against the six GRU members claims that they celebrated the deployment of NotPetya, but unfortunately doesn't say how investigators learned that. What some victims saw was a ransom note in red that said, oops, your important files have been infected. It went on, perhaps you were busy looking for a way to recover files, but don't waste your time. The note asked for $300 in Bitcoin as a ransom, but it was a ruse. When an organization gets infected with ransomware, they're usually assigned some sort of ID so that the attackers can identify the victim and provide the right decryption key. But NotPetya just created random data for that identifier, and it was essentially useless. It was impossible to decrypt the data. All of this, however, how NotPetya spread, the Russian involvement, the fact that it was fake ransomware, was unknown at the time to Maersk. Gavin says 2017 was a year that no one was really ready for. But what surprised the whole world that year was, you know, you want to cry and you're not Petya. You know, they really were. We, up until that point, you'd had, you know, major names go down every couple of years with some big event, you know, maybe a Yahoo or a Sony, etc. But they'd been kind of um, sort of isolated events that would happen every couple of years. What Wanna Cry Not Petya did was really set that bar of, you know, this is how it's done. <laughs> and although they weren't ransomware, they were sort of malware dressed as ransomware. Um, that's, 
you know, if you draw a graph, you know, it's, it's then a vertical line from that point to today. And it wasn't something that you were prepared for. Merce needed to get containers moving again. Where do they even start? The answer is the same place where the attackers often start, Active Directory. But Gavin says recovery plans often assume that something is still available and working to serve as a basis for rebuilding. In this incident, though, Merce had been fried. AD, and this wasn't isolated to Merce, and this has been true in other organizations as well. You know, your your recovery um, plan makes an assumption about availability. You know, AD is is designed to be a highly resilient system. You know, and if you're global and you've got hundreds of domain controllers, well, you might lose a country, but you'll still have AD, right? You know, in this situation where you've just lost everything, like, okay, <laughs> what do we what do we do now? So, I mean, we we were lucky in that we found a, a way to bring AD back. But there's organizations out there who are not, you know, so this can really be pretty existential. NotPetya had wiped Maersk's Active Directory out, but Barrett had one idea that was worth trying, but it was a long shot. I asked the head of IT, said, uh, can you just make sure you call every single site and ask them if any of them had a WAN outage um, at any point um, of, uh, since the NotPetya event or before, and if they'd been still been off. And so um, he got his local IT guys to call out to all branches and find out. And it just so happened that um, Nigeria had experienced uh, a WAN outage. Lagos had experienced a land, not a land outage, a WAN outage, a connectivity outage. Fortunately, um, the head of IT came back and said, yes, we have one site that has had a WAN outage before the 27th of June. I said, great. Can you ask them? Um, if they haven't already powered down the devices um, or disconnected them from the network, if um, if they experienced the same message we are everywhere else, lo and behold, they were not experienced the issue. I thought, great. Now, first thing to do is back that baby up quick, quick before it goes. Then Barrett says it was a matter of getting that data back to headquarters in Maidenhead. Fortunately. The guy from none of the guys from Lagos had a visa, but we had had the uh, Africa Central Africa head. Uh, I think it was based in Ghana. He flew from Ghana to Nigeria, picked the disc up. Bitching was an exchange, and then bought it back uh, and flew it to um, flew it to us in Maidenhead. In parallel, we had um, uh, one of his team uploading um, the backup uh, to a safe location to see if I can download it as well, but. Um, Due to connectivity issues, it was difficult, and it actually took more than 10 hours to do the upload, um, by which time we had arrived in, in Heathrow. And if you know where Maidenhead is, it's on, them, it's on the M4, half an hour. So he got the taxi and came to Maidenhead with the drive and handed over to myself and the, uh, the my, my esteemed the architect colleague. With that in hand, things were looking better, but one move Maersk made before the incident turned out to help quite a bit given the Active Directory problem. Around two weeks before the NotPetya attack, Maersk had moved to Azure AD single sign-on with password hash sync. What that meant is even though most on-premises Active Directory copies had been wiped out, people could still authenticate into cloud-based services such as Office 365. They could still use email. One large task was how to move all of these compromised systems to a good state. Maersk had been on Windows 7, but Gavin said there was no point restoring infected systems back to that OS, so the company decided to upgrade everything to Windows 10. 
And so tell me about uh, the sausage factory. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what could you possibly not know just from the the words alone? (laughs) The sausage factory was the term that Gavin and others used for how to move large swaths of compromised systems into a clean state using a tiered access model and privileged access management controls. Tiered access essentially means making sure that highly privileged accounts are separated from high-risk zones. Part of that task was also ensuring that what Maersk needed from a business perspective was prioritized for restoration. That's the sausage factory. Um, So you, you want to start off with, let's get AD in check, right? So whatever you want to do, there's multiple lists out there of things you should do after a cyber attack to help protect active directory and, and recover your trust in, in the directory. Um, but then the issue will be is, well, okay, domain controllers and, and, and AD assets, fine, because that's a fairly limited amount of stuff. What about these you know, hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of servers? What do we do there? And you go, okay, right. So what are your business critical processes? Don't forget about IT. Walk to the walk across to the business you know, island and say, right, you guys, what which processes can this business not live without? Like what yeah. do you actually need, you know, on day one of recovery of the BCDR, you know, process. And then it's a case of mapping those processes back to systems that actually matter. So, you know, whatever those systems might be, it doesn't really matter. Um so those those systems there are going to be ones that you say, okay, these these ones are going to be things that we actually have to get get across as quickly as possible. But the rest is still a threat. Like until you've actually put the controls you need around your whole environment, you're still kind of at risk because you're providing lateral access parts. Moving away from on-premises software to the cloud has strong security advantages, but Gavin says there's always going to be a minority percentage of systems that, for whatever reason, won't be moved. But there are ways to deal with those risks. And at that point, it's a case of, okay, how do we set up um, ring fences around these things? How can we isolate them from a from an identity perspective? Um, make sure that we're controlling those access paths into those administrative systems that underpin those services. And you're then into a into this scenario where we're really trying to make AD um, as small as possible, right? So if you think of AD today, it's probably you know in a typical organization we've got lots of you know old servers and stuff, pretty big attack um, attack surface. So as much as you can minimize that, and as much as you can commoditize how that's secured as well, you know I, I used to hear a lot about stop the rot people in the business spinning up systems and not managing them particularly well and all the rest of it, like that stuff, that's really going to get you wiped out. Trying to commoditize how AD is secured. Um, let's control um, the the access paths into those systems. Let's not allow service accounts to sign in, in interactively. Let's, you know, do principle of least privilege. Let's use tools like, you know, whatever your PAM of choice is and, and just not leave AD quite so open. Barrett says that prior to the attack, Maersk was using some best practices, such as separating accounts for, say, those that log into Outlook and one that's a domain admin. But post NotPetya, Maersk also tried to ensure the infrastructure was as segregated as possible. One of the things we did was not just separate the accounts, but separate um, the infrastructure as well. So not physical separation, not network uh, segmentation, but logical separation. 
And that was uh, something that Microsoft de- de- developed called the tiering model, uh, which is, I think was quite new in the time of when we uh, when we were when we were hit. But when we look to when we had the f- the first ninety days after the attack, one of the things we did was to um, also s- split as much as possible the ability for domain controllers to have admin rights to servers to have admin rights to uh, workstations. I mean, if you think about it, why does a domain administrator need to go to manage all of the administration on the servers and the workstations that's within the domain? Not really required. Um, and then, you know, as as a as a, an, an admin, how am I accessing the domain admin from my workstation? Okay, well, if if I'm logging on to my workstation with my standard account. And then logging on to a remote desktop session to uh, a domain domain controller, then potentially as an attack vector for my password to be uh, compromised for the domain admin account, because you could have listeners on there. Someone could plug a USB stick, uh, a reader, uh, keyboard uh, reader on on the back of my uh, keyboard. I wouldn't know that, right? In June 2021, Barrett wrote this on LinkedIn: Fourth year anniversary of NotPetya hitting, pretty much to the minute. Testimony to those who spent months recovering and the military-like discipline. Time to reflect on lessons learned and continuing to ensure that business and individuals stay protected from people who are hell-bent on disruption. He tagged Gavin and 19 other people. The comments are telling of the gargantuan task of rebuilding Maersk and the resilience and fortitude of those who helped. Stephen Velasco was a former senior application manager at Maersk. He wrote, Ah, good times, emptying the snacks aisle of the local Sainsbury's and working together 24 hours a day to get things up and running. A unique moment to have experienced and fantastic people to work with. Dave Lanigan, who worked with the service management maturity and capability, wrote, We all made a great team watching the sun come up and maidenhead for the second time without barely leaving the office. And that was just the start. Kanban boards, WhatsApp, setting up crisis teams for different services. Those first 48 hours had some critical decisions to be made that were bold and brave, and this team faced up to them. I'll never forget the welfare team protecting people for working hours, meals, drinks, rest. They were sensational, even if a few of us were ducking and diving them just to try to get in a few more hours. And Mandy Sunner, a former lead business analyst wrote, Hell is bent on destroying good. Love your disciplined approach and calmness, Barrett. In your LinkedIn post, you wrote, uh, testimony to those who spent months recovering and the military-like discipline. And then uh, Mandy Sunner, uh, she wrote a little bit further down. She said, love your disciplined approach and calmness. Tell me about those components, (laughs) like the discipline and then also the calmness, because you seem like a really calm guy like you seem like you'd be somebody who's quite cool under a lot of pressure uh, from a young age um i would say that i've been working under pressure as it were you know like most people bullied at school and 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 what have you and then suddenly when you when you hit puberty you're now six foot tall um muscle and uh, the bullies don't tend to bully you so i think I, I learned some resilience there, but yeah, I mean, we, we I, there's not many people that I know I, I recall that had really lashed out or gone crazy or, or 
had got really emotion um, emotional about the situation. Yes, you, you had some frustrations. Um, you know, if some vendors weren't doing what you wanted to do and didn't go your way, you could shout about it, cry about it, wouldn't solve anything. And I think that's the that that's the thing that um, that, that that all really pulled us together because everyone else was calm around you. So why would I get worked up? I know that there was a lot, a hell of a lot of pressure for the first few days and weeks on me to get active directory because. If Active Directory wasn't back, the Windows servers aren't coming back. DNS is not coming back. Workstations aren't coming back. So one of the things that me and the architect kept telling ourselves throughout the whole thing, um, the words we kept uttering all the time is, it is what it is. And I mean, I'm, I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a spiritual Hindu. Um, I, I, I'm, I am a practicing Hindu. But as you know, Hinduism generally is quite a peaceful religion. Um, and that was just the mantra that I was having in my head all the time. There were stressing dynamics that resulted from the attack. Remember, nearly all of Maersk's Windows systems were gone. That also meant payroll. Barrett says that there were questions as to whether everyone was going to get paid due to the outages. We didn't know if we'd get paid or not for this at the end of the day, right? You think about it. If your company's lost all its IT, how you're, you're sitting in an office, right? Um, in Maidenhead, um, not knowing whether you're going to get paid for any of this stuff. HR did a phenomenal job to make sure that that happened anyway. It was at the end of the, it was getting close to the end of the month. I think that was, I think that we may have all been paid by that time. But then the following month, obviously, you don't know if it's going to happen or not. But they knew that we were pulling up the stops. And if you know Maersk, obviously, it's, it's, it's a family-owned Danish business. Um, um, and fortunate that, that they are, that, that there's there's reserves there, so it wasn't too bad. For Gavin, the incident did take its toll over the longer term. There were lots of vendors involved. There were passion discussions over which type of privileged access management technology to use and why. Discussions about prioritization, disagreements. Deloitte, one of the largest technology consultancies in the world, was heavily involved. And not every decision went Gavin's way. And I just had a difference of opinion, which is really what it comes down to. Um, you know, I, I've got, you know, huge, huge admiration for like the stuff that actually happened, you know, as I say, you know, this is stuff that normally in an organization you, you talk and talk and talk about for years and years and years, and all of a sudden it was all just happening. So, you know, it wasn't a simple question at all. And, you know, ultimately the right things did happen in the end, but, you know, my, my, my personal you know reaction to all this was you know having having gone through all that i was sort of desperate you know just as desperate as anybody else to see the right things happening and after two years you know i you know i was i was, I was just burned out to a crisp he quit Maersk. he acquired a motorhome and took his family on the road through france spain and portugal for six months but something weird and disturbing kept happening but i i, I had real trouble getting over all this you know i, I left Maersk to sort of just have a break um and I felt myself thinking about it all the time. Like even after I got another job, I was still talking and thinking about Merce constantly. Um, and I, you know, I had some, went to get counselling, and and it turns out that it was grief. You know, I was grieving my old job that I missed, <laughs> that had been sort of torn away from me. And it was, you know, it's a case of, yeah, you know, that who I never thought I could grieve over a job. <laughs> that's ridiculous. What? What? Uh, I that's that's fascinating 
So what what did you feel like was unresolved? Well, I mean, grief is the word. Like when you, I can only imagine, I've not lost either of my parents yet, but like when you lose a loved one or a close loved one, you know, or a pet, or, I don't know, like when you, but it's that feeling of grief, like something had, something had gone away and I hadn't processed it. You know, I hadn't sort of acknowledged in my own mind, like, um, I really loved that job and the people I worked with and the stuff we were doing, like it was a really cool job. Um, you know, and it was, it was suddenly he wasn't there anymore, you know, and I guess I'd been so, you know, busy for those two years in the recovery process and then building back stronger and all the rest of it. I hadn't really had time to sort of process anything. And it was only after I left and we took six months out to go traveling, I, was, I, I you know, I felt into, I fell into quite a dark spot. Time has passed and Gavin was able to move on. He now works at Microsoft. Amidst all the great advice in his blog post, there's one piece that's not only funny, but powerful. I like this quote, business continuity plans are vital. It's obvious when you say it, but seriously, at whatever level of the organization you are, there are things you can do to plan for the worst. No, literally the worst. No, worse than that. <laughs> I mean, the absolute worst you could possibly think of. Plan for that because when it all goes bang, you will seriously thank yourself. That is wonderful advice. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I followed it all the time. If you enjoyed this episode of The Ransomware Files, please share it. Also, The Ransomware Files has its own Twitter handle, at Ransomware Files, which tweets news and happenings about ransomware. And I'm on Twitter at Jeremy underscore Kirk. If you'd like to participate in this project or have an idea for it, please get in touch with me. My direct messages are open on Twitter and I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I'm looking for other people, organizations, and companies that can share their unique experiences for the benefit of all until ransomware, hopefully, becomes a thing of the past. Thank you.